Well, we're in the middle of a series titled Being More of a Neighbor. And I got a call from one of our members, uh, Patience, on Friday. And she said, Pastor Steve, I got all these neighbors who they need to hear about Jesus. If you could just get a bus here so I can get my neighbors to church, that'd be great. And so Edgar went out there this morning with a bus. We loaded up and five, I believe, of Patience neighbors came and are here this morning. So um, the bus broke down. But, but they still, we still got him here. Um, but, uh, but patience, thank you just for having the heart of Jesus for, for your neighbors. Yeah. Have you ever been riding in a car with your kids and you just play the same radio station maybe all the time? Or maybe you got this favorite CD and you just have that CD in the car all the time with your kids and... Before you know it, you know what happens, right? Is you're in, you're in the house, you're just doing whatever it is you're doing, and all of a sudden you hear your kids just kind of belting out one of the songs that they've heard. You know, they, they, they just heard the song so much that they just learned the lyrics and they sing it. Now, the interesting thing is you never had to teach them that song, right? You never had to sit in front of them and say, hey, I really want you to learn this song, memorize these lyrics, learn these lines. You don't have to do that. Right? They, they just kind of catch it. They just absorb it. And the next thing you know, they're, they're singing the song. They're singing the lines. They, they might not get every line just right. They might miss a word here or there. It's kind of cute, but it's close. And, and they get it. They just kind of catch it. And it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because it reminds us of our faith a little bit. That Christianity is more caught than it is taught. You know, it's more caught than it is taught. People, they observe the way we live. They look at how we act. They, they, they listen to what we say, the music we listen to, the shows we watch, all these things. And it is more caught than taught. The day in, day out of life. And they catch it. Which brings up an interesting question, doesn't it? What is it that our kids are catching from us? What is it that our children or our grandchildren are catching from us? Because there is this truth. You cannot give what you do not have. You cannot give what you do not have. There's a lot of stories in the Bible that kind of illustrate this principle. We're going to focus on one this morning. It's in the second chapter of Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Luke 2, 41 through 52. We are in the second week of a, a study looking at how to be more of a neighbor And this week, like last week in your uh, bulletin, you've got a tic-tac-toe board. If you weren't with us last week, here's here's basically the challenge. Uh, In the middle of the tic-tac-toe board, you put your name and all the... All the people who live in the house with you, you put their names. That's kind of your house. That's your apartment. That's the place where you live. And in the eight closest squares around that, you just say, okay, who are the eight people who live closest to me? The person who lives across the street, next door, behind you, wherever, do I know their names? And under that, do I know anything about them? Not not just something I've observed, but do I know something specific about them that I've learned just by having a conversation with them? And then lastly, have I ever had a meal meal with them? Have I ever actually shared Jesus with them? And those are the kind of questions that you're asking because, hey, to be more of a neighbor, to be the kind of neighbor who loves others like we love ourselves, it certainly starts with knowing their names, right? And it must extend to knowing a little bit about them. And then surely to love them like we love ourselves means that at some point we're going to eat with them, we're going to share Jesus with them. 
So that's the challenge right there. And this morning, we're focusing right on the center square, what happens in our homes, in our home. Because in making our home a ministry center, it extends then to the neighbors around us. So that's the focus this morning, what happens in our homes with our own family. And to do that, we're going to look at a couple who we talk about a lot coming up this time of year, a couple named Mary and Joseph. And so let's learn from them this morning. Luke 2, verses 41 through 52. It says this, Now Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him along with their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And when he went down with them and came to Nazareth, he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. What started as just a concern, you know, where is Jesus? Have have you seen Jesus? Where, Where did Jesus go? I'm sure he must be with another family. He must be with some relatives. He must be with some acquaintances. Have you seen Jesus? Maybe he's with some other kids playing. And but where is Jesus and Joseph surely assuring Mary, don't worry, Mary, he's, he's got to be here somewhere. Look at this big crowd of people. I'm sure we'll find him. Jesus has got to be here somewhere. What started as just a concern grew into this full-blown panic because Jesus wasn't there. We can't find Jesus. Why can't we find Jesus? Because he's not here. We, we, we've looked with all the kids and, you know, in, in those days, a big caravan, it's not safe to travel alone. So you travel with a big group and in big groups, people just kind of make subgroups and they're doing whatever. But he wasn't there. He, he, he wasn't with the kids just weaving in and out of the crowd. He wasn't with some other relatives. He wasn't with some other acquaintances. Where is Jesus? There's just full-blown panic that's set in. Why? Because Jesus wasn't there. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And now Joseph and Mary have walked one full day away from Jerusalem. And they set up camp for the night and they stay there. And then the next morning they get up and they walk all the way back to Jerusalem two days. And then on the third day they look around all over Jerusalem until they find him three days. They couldn't find Jesus for three days. Does that sound familiar? I mean, Mary and Joseph, they're beside themselves. They've lost their son. They've lost Jesus. I mean, how are they ever going to explain to anyone that they've lost the son of God? What happened here? What's what's going on? He, He was here 
and then he's gone. And any of you who are parents, you know, you know the panic that sets in when your child is supposed to be somewhere, but they turn out to be somewhere else. When you go into a department store or a ball field or amusement park and you turn around and one moment they're right there and then you turn back around in the next and they're not there. That they're not where they're supposed to be, they're gone. And you're wishing that you had some kind of GPS system, right? That you could just like tack to them and you could pull it up on your phone and follow that blue dot and then embrace them in their arms. Say, all right, I found you, I've got you back. But Mary and Joseph, oh man, he's not there. And Mary's upset. I mean, she finds Jesus, and you know she's upset. Because when she finds Jesus, did you hear what she says? She says, your father and I. Right, she goes, and she just speaks for Joseph right then. I mean, I'm sure if Joseph wanted to say something, he could have piped up and said something. Joseph is right there. If he needs to say something, you figure he could probably say it. But no, Mary is so emotional over the trauma of missing her boy for three days. Jesus, why have you done this to us? Joseph, he didn't say anything. Maybe Mary didn't give him a chance. Or maybe Joseph was wondering, was that really Jesus? Was that really my boy just, just sitting right in the middle there of all those teachers of the law and everybody? Maybe he said to Mary later, I know you're upset. I'm upset too, but... Did you see Jesus? I mean, did, did you see what he was doing? How he was sitting right in the middle of that crowd, how he commanded the room? And all the people, they, they were looking and they were listening to his questions. And they were amazed at just the questions he was asking and the understanding that he had at just a boy. Did you see that, Mary? And these, I'm sure, are the things that they treasured in their hearts later. I, I think those are the images that they're in, emblazoned in their minds after they were able to calm down. But when the question comes to Jesus, Jesus doesn't quite understand why they're upset. He says, why, why were you looking for me? Because you're 12, Jesus. They're, we're looking for you because you're 12. We're your mom and dad. You, you were supposed to be with us. You weren't with us. You're 12. It's our responsibility to look for you. You're, you were lost. We didn't know where you were. You're 12, Jesus. You were supposed to be with us. That's why we're looking for you. It's our job to look. And Jesus says, I wasn't lost. D didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand. You know, they didn't quite get it. They had told the stories to Jesus thousands of times. I mean, Mary would have told Jesus, I'm sure, from the first time that she was holding them in, in her arms about just the conversation that she had had with the angel named Gabriel and how Gabriel just came to her and he told her of this promise of a child and how this child would be a child unlike any other child and how this child would go up, grow up and he would become the Messiah to save the world from their sins. This is a special child that you're going to give birth to, Mary. This is God's own son, she would have told Jesus that story, I'm sure, thousands of times and millions of times. She, she would have told him about her cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zacharias and how Zacharias didn't believe when the angel came to him and how Zacharias couldn't say a word the whole time that Elizabeth was pregnant. She would have told him about his cousin John, who would soon be called John the Baptizer, 
Oh, I'm sure she told Jesus all these stories thousands of times, millions of times. Oh, she should have known. And Joseph, jo- Joseph, he, he would have told Jesus about the dream that he had, about the angel who came to him and said, hey, here's the news, Mary's pregnant. But it's okay, don't, don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, you can trust her, Joseph. The child she's carrying is from the Spirit of God. Trust her. Raise this child as your own, Joseph, until I call for him. You be his father in my stead, and I will call for him. And when I call for him, you're going to see that he's going to be the Messiah of the world, the Savior of the world, your Savior. Joseph would have told Jesus about hiding in Egypt, and Joseph would have told Jesus about why they now live in Nazareth and how every single day he's just kind of worried and praying that, God, don't let a king find out that Jesus is here, worried that some king might discover who Jesus is and want to kill him. Joseph would have told Jesus those stories thousands of times, millions of times. Yeah, they should have known. They should have known that the father would call for his son. But they didn't understand. They thought they had more time. You know, they always knew that Jesus wasn't really theirs. They always knew that sooner or later the father would call for the son, that he had a mission to accomplish, that he was growing up to be the Messiah. They knew that. They just didn't think it would begin to happen when he was 12. Maybe when he was older, but but, but not yet. As parents, we always think that we have more time than we do, don't we? Sooner or later, we'll get to saying the things that really need to be said. Sooner or later, we'll get around to teaching them what really matters in life. But, you know, right now, today, I mean, we've got this to do. We've got that to do. We've got a busy, full schedule. We've got more time, we think. We always have more time. Steph and I, we brought three little energetic kids home from the hospital at various times. And and you know how it is. Those first few months of, of any new baby... Uh, you just don't get a whole lot of sleep, especially the mom, right? There's, you just don't get a whole lot of sleep. And you come in, you, you get the baby ready as best you can, you, you get to church or whatever it is you're going, and then people come along and they play with the little baby's hands and feet, and they ooh and ah and gush over the little baby, and they look at you and they grab me and they grab stuff and they say, oh, treasure these moments because it goes so fast. And we think, yes, maybe, but the last hour sure didn't. But then the day comes, and Steph gives her daughter Emma a hug, and she realizes that Emma is taller than she is. And we know the day is soon coming when we'll hug our son and his beard will scratch our face. Why? Because the time goes so fast, and we always think, where did the time go? We always have more time. But you don't. It goes by faster than you think. Jesus said, your life is but a mist of vapor. But you do have this moment now. Mary and Joseph did have this moment now with Jesus. They knew Jesus was on loan. They knew that Jesus wasn't really theirs, but they knew that they had this moment now. We understand that our children are gifts. They're not ours to keep. And sooner or later, the Father will call for our children, our grandchildren too. And it's our job to make sure that our children are ready. Because we're not raising kids. We're raising future adults who must be prepared to live out their masterpiece mission, who must be prepared to be chair for disciple makers whenever and wherever the Father calls them to. 
I mean, you see this throughout Scripture. Moses never belonged to his parents. They knew from the very beginning that he was a special child who would have a special mission. And so his mother became just a nurse to, to kind of whisper into Moses' life. Moses, this is who God is. This is who he made you to be. This is who you are, Moses. And then when the father called to him in the burning bush, Moses knew this is God speaking. Hannah took Samuel home and raised him and taught him until he was 12. Then she brought him back to the temple and presented him to be a servant of the priest Eli and to serve people. See, we've always known that our children are on loan, that they're not ours to keep. Sooner or later, the father will call for them. And when he calls for them, they must know two things. One, who God is, and number two, who they are. They must know who God is and who they are. Paul reminds this to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy. It's in the opening chapter of 2 Timothy that Paul writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice now. I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. Timothy was a young pastor, and as a young pastor, it was difficult for him to get the older members of his congregation to listen to him. And I'm sure he's kind of went to Paul with this concern. He said, Paul, they're just not listening. The, 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 for whatever reason, they're just kind of dismissing what I'm saying and they're not putting anything into practice. It just it doesn't feel like they're doing what I'm saying. And so Timothy has this conversation with Paul. He says, I can't get them to listen to me. And Paul reminds him of two things. He says, Paul, first, remember the gospel that has called you. Remember how the gospel saved you. Remember how you saw it in the life of your grandmother before you and then the life of your mother after her. And by the way, if there are any single moms or, or, or moms with unbelieving husbands in the room, this should be of a great encouragement to you because Timothy learned the faith from his mother and his grandma. It doesn't say anything about his father or grandfather. It just says his mom and his grandma. And this is who he learned the faith from. And because Paul saw the power of God working in their lives, it made an impact in his life, Timothy's life. He said, you've seen this. You've seen the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the presence of the risen Christ. You've seen that displayed in your life and it's stronger than anything. It's bigger than anything that you will ever encounter. Remember that, Timothy. And number two, also remember this, that I laid my hands on you, that I called out the gifts that I observed in your life, that I commissioned you to be a pastor, to be a leader of these people, to lead this church and the church affirmed your gifts. They called you, they recognized the work of Christ in you, and they appointed you to, to lead them. And by the laying out of my hands, you are commissioned, so you are empowered to live this life. Timothy, remember who God is and remember who you are. Two things, know who God is and know who you are. You must make sure that our kids know this. But you know how it is. We get so busy and we want to make sure that our kids can go to like the nicest schools and be involved in the best extracurricular activities and get on the sports teams and do this and do that and have good clothes and 
good food and all this stuff. And we look out for all these things. But we forget to tell them who God is and who they are. And when we forget to tell them who God is and who they are, the world will. And the world always gets it wrong. And you know this is true. The world is more than happy to come alongside your kids and say, hey, this is what success is. The world is more than happy to come alongside your kids and whisper into their ears, this is what beauty is. This is what purpose is. Let, let, let me define life for you. Let me define you for you. The world is happy to define your kids for you. But know this, the world always gets it wrong. The world always gets it wrong. They must know who God is and who they are. So we talk about our faith. But even more than that, we live it out. We live it out. And let me remind you, you cannot give what you do not have. Our children watch and, and listen to what we say and how we say it. They watch and they listen to the way we respond when somebody cuts us off on the road, when, when we nail our finger with a hammer. They listen to what we say and how we say it. They, they're listening to the songs we listen to. They're watching the shows that we watch. They watch how we respond to our neighbors, how we interact with people. They hear how we define success, beauty, purpose, life. They see how we treat our spouse, how we talk about others. They, they, they listen to our complaining. They watch. And they learn more from you in the moments of everyday life, day in and day out, than they ever will from just the lesson when you sit down and you want to teach them that they are watching. It is more caught than taught. So make sure that your life is filled with Christ, that it is filled with the resurrection, the, the risen Jesus. Because when life squeezes you like a tube of toothpaste, it better be Jesus that comes out. I mean, when you get squeezed by life's hardest moments, most difficult, painful situations, what comes out? What comes out in your day-to-day -day life? When you don't feel squeezed and you're just living and going through the motions, what is it that comes out? Make sure your life is dominated by the presence of the risen Jesus because that's what your children see. You gotta teach them, you gotta, you gotta model for them the faith. The proverb says you raise up a child in the way that he should go and when he's old, he will not depart from it. We always put the emphasis on the way but sometimes the emphasis also needs to be on the way he should go, on the child. Because every child has his own masterpiece mission that God is calling and raising them to be in this world, to be that chair for disciple maker that we're all called to be. So how do we do this? How do we do it? The Bible tells us in the famous passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, the Israelites call it the Shema. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The, the commandments of God, the teachings of God are to be stuff of everyday conversation. 
There there to be topics that just come up. I mean, as you're just living your life throughout the day, when you sit down to eat, it comes up. As you're getting them ready for school in the morning or whatever, it just comes up. As you're putting them down to bed at night, it just comes up. When you're driving in the car, it just comes up. As you're working together, playing together, it just comes up. These are all opportunities for you to share with them what's going on. Your prayer life, your, your Bible study, what you're learning in your impact group, whatever, it just comes up. And at this moment, you might be wondering, okay, what does this have to do with being more of a neighbor again? Well, quite a lot, actually, because you cannot give what you do not have. Because Christianity is much more caught than it is taught. I mean, just think of some of the stories, some of the passages that we kind of rehearsed this morning. Jesus grew in favor with people. Moses grew to be a leader of people. Samuel grew to be a servant to people. Timothy grew to be a preacher to people. And they all learned this faith from others. They saw it modeled by others before them. And then they learned that their faith must impact others. It can't be a faith that I keep silently to myself in the walls of my own house. It must be a faith that impacts others because that's what he made us for. So when making your home a ministry center, you've got to model that. In our home, for the first time in a long time, for the first time in a while that I can remember, we haven't had a group of people meeting regularly in our home studying the Bible together. I mean, it's just been a practice that we've done. I mean, we're part of an impact group. We meet here on Wednesday nights, and it's great, and we're loving it. But we haven't had people in our home studying the Bible together. And you know what happens? Our kids ask, how come people aren't coming over to our house to study the Bible anymore? How come come there's not other people in our house reading the Bible and talking about scriptures together? Why are we not doing that right now? They ask. They wonder. Why? Because they've caught this idea from Deuteronomy 6 from watching us that your home is to be a ministry center. That this should be a primary place where people gather and read the scriptures and study the scriptures together. See, people, these kids, they catch things. They're also watching how we interact with our neighbors. Earlier this spring... I was outside, and I was doing some yard work out there with two of my kids, and then one of our neighbors, he's, he's an old, crusty guy, and he comes around, he walks his dog like every afternoon, and, and he's walking the dog, and he comes by, and he stops in front of the house and walks over, and I'm getting a little nervous because I never know what's going to fly out of this guy's mouth, and I've got my kids right here, and, he's, and he says, um, hey, I just got to tell you, I walk around this neighborhood all the time, and I never really see like dads out in the yard working with their kids. That's, that's, that's pretty neat what, what, what you're doing here. And we talked a little bit more, and then, and then he walks around again, and, and he comes back around. It's kind of a small neighborhood. It's about 20, 30 minutes later. He comes back around, and he stops by again, and we're still out there. And he comes by again, and he's like, you know, I got to tell you, you, you must be doing something right. Because this just isn't normal. He's thinking. 
He's watching. My kids are hearing this. They're picking up on it too. People notice. It's caught much more than it's taught. See, if the moments that your child observes you having with God or in the moments that your child observes you like studying about God with others are only moments that happens on church property, that speaks volumes to them. I mean, as you tell them that God is the most important thing in their life and they only see it happening on church property, that speaks volumes to them. What do they see as you're living day in and day out? As people are coming into your home, who, are, are, are you talking about the scriptures? Or is, is Bible study happening in your home? Are the commands and the teachings of God, are they being brought up in everyday conversation? Does it just come out? Is it just part of who you are? Or are they just similar to like the other nice stories that we read about? I mean, you go through and you look, and there's uh, these children's books about Noah and the ark, and you can pick them up. Noah and the ark, and then Daniel in the lion's den, and you see these books, and they make me nauseous. Because they look like books that could be Jack and the Beanstalk. You know what I mean? We've trivialized it. And kids can pick up on the disconnect. They can see that. They they, they notice it. They catch the disconnect between what we say is the truth of God and then we preach in church. They catch the disconnect between words on a page and the way we live our lives. They catch the disconnect between saying we must love our neighbors as ourselves and then not even knowing their names. And you know what happens? Sooner or later, the world comes along and says, let me define life for you. Let me define beauty for you. Let me define success for you. Let me define purpose for you. And they look and they say, I don't know that I see a disconnect there. That they actually live what they say. The only problem is the world always gets it wrong. The world always gets it wrong. We know that sooner or later, the Father will call for all of our kids. And when they leave, they, they must leave with two things. What they know to be true of God and what they know to be true of themselves. And if they don't know that, the world is more than happy to define it for them. And the world always gets it wrong. You know that's the way it worked in Jesus' life? You know that? The times when Jesus was most most at risk, in, in the really difficult, toughest moments of life, he responded with the things that Mary and Joseph would have taught him as a boy. I mean, you just think about it, okay? The temptation in the wilderness... Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was praying and he was crying out to God. He was saying, okay, raise me up to be the Messiah who you've made me to be. Help my life to be in line with who you've called me to be. I need your strength, Father. Help me. And then at the end of this, having not eaten, having just fasted, being alone in the wilderness when he's at his weakest, Satan comes to him and tempts him by giving him an alternate view of the Messiah. And how does Jesus respond? With scripture, right? He quotes scripture to Satan. But not just any scripture. Do you know the kind of scripture that he quoted to Satan? 
children's memory verses. These were the common children's memory verses of the day. And he quotes them. These are the verses that when he was in the shop with Joseph, that Joseph would have said, make sure you know this, Jesus. Make sure you know this one. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When he's in the home with Mary, Mary would have said, repeat this after me, Joseph, or Jesus. You've got to know this, Jesus. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You've got to know this, Jesus. It's got to be in your heart. And then Jesus watched and he observed that when Mary and Joseph were having trouble putting food on the table, when times are difficult, when things are hard, they would have, he would have heard his parents say those verses. And so when life squeezed him, and he can't even think straight because he hadn't eaten for 40 days, his mind finds those Bible verses that Mary and Joseph taught him as a child and modeled for him throughout his life, and it just comes out. The last moments of Jesus' earthly life. You remember hanging on the cross and he looks after his mother and he makes sure that she's taken care of. And then it gets dark. It goes completely dark, so dark that Jesus can't even see. And what does Jesus do? He prays. And you remember the prayer that he prays? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I lay my life. You know where he learned that prayer from? It was a night-night prayer for little Jewish kids. There would have been countless times throughout his life where he would have grown up and Mary and Joseph would have been tucking Jesus into bed and said, Jesus, put your hands together like this. Pray like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. Father, into your hands I leave my life. We think of Jesus, oh, he's God, yes. But did you catch Luke 2.52? That Jesus grew in knowledge, that he grew in stature, that he grew in favor with God and with men. How did he grow? He grew because he had loving parents who said, these are the verses you need to know, Jesus. These are the prayers. This is how you pray, Jesus. Watch us pray. Watch how we live so that when the Father calls for you, you'll be ready. So it is with us, isn't it? What are our children catching from us? And not just our biological children. Our spiritual children as well. All those people who you've led to Jesus. All those people who you're now in process of actively discipling and making sure that they're growing to look more like Jesus. All those people that you are investing your lives into. It's those people too. Are they looking more like Jesus? I mean, we, we, we see them and we, we baptize them and we raise them up as a new person in Christ. Born again, we shout. And now they're looking at you from inside your house, from next door, from across the street. And they're looking. Are you showing them Jesus? Are you modeling that made for more life? What is it the people around you are catching? Because remember this, you cannot give what you do not have. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ we have life. 
we have life to the fullest, that you have given us a life that's made for more because you've made us for more. And God, when we shrink back and we fill our schedules with things that seem so important because we think we have more time, forgive us. God, help us to be the kind of parents, the kind of grandparents, the kind of aunts, uncles, who love our kids enough to tell them who you are and who they are. May it impact our kids, may it impact our neighbors. For the glory of your kingdom. We need your help to do this, so we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit, through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.